Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Hey, my name is Vince. Uh, it's good to see you all here. Glad to have you here. Um, if you don't know, uh, we, we had a baby on, uh, I don't know when we did, whatever it was. Several years in a row we've had them. What? Friday. There we go. Thank you, Ezra. Um, uh, yeah, and, and mom and baby are healthy. Uzziah, if you're asking, you, so like you would say you, Uzziah Joel. Uh, we got to the hospital around 8 on Friday evening, and uh, Kirsten had the baby at 8.52. So it all went well, quickly, and ferociously. Can you say that about a birth? Maybe not. Um, but anyway, thanks. Thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, some of you have been asking for pictures, um, and so I'll just show you one real quick. Uh, here's, here's, so this is what, so anyway, um, we are looking through, uh, going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We are into Nehemiah, um, coming to a close. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. That's where we're going to be looking this evening. Nearing the end, nearing the completion of a series we've been working through, and we've called it A City Restored, because these two books, originally one, were about a people who were who were exiled, who were taken as slaves into Babylonia. Everything in their city was destroyed. The temple where they worshipped their God was destroyed. Everything about what they knew as familiar had been destroyed. The city, the city, um, where they pointed all of their attention was destroyed. It was the, the city of God. We don't have that kind of concept anymore. But it was the holy city of God that these people um, were, were living in and had been taken from. The restoration of this city was, was for them much more than just a physical restoration. It wasn't just, hey, let's rebuild this thing and put in some strip malls and um, a, a light rail on Mason Street that's never coming. What can we actually do for this city to restore, um, not just physically, but also spiritually to restore a people. So that's what they were about. It was about restoring God's fame to his people. It was about restoring proper, proper obedience, um, proper relationships with their God. It was about restoring a right repentance of who God is and who he's not. It wasn't just about the physical rebuilding. Right? Do we all get that? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about that, but it's not just about the physical rebuilding of the temple and the altar and the, the walls and, and the city. It, it was much more than that. It was a spiritual restoration as well. That's why we've called the series A City Restored, because we want, as a church, we want to be a part of the restoration process as well. On this side of the cross, where, where we know that complete restoration is possible because of Jesus and His atoning work on the cross, reconciling us to the Father, we want to see, uh, see that kind of restoration happening. 
where we're living out obedience in faith. We want to see our city, this city right here in this room, we want to see our city representing the living out of obedience in faith. We want to see our city representing the gospel to the city around us. We want to see um, and, and learn from Ezra and Nehemiah about how we as a body can be doing those things. We want to be on that kind of mission. We want to be, sorry, uh, contagious. We want that kind of lifestyle to be a contagious lifestyle in our city. Now, you may be asking yourself, if that's really true, Vince, then why in the world have you done everything in your power to shrink this church in the last few weeks? Why have you done everything in your power to preach about things and talk about things that are, are going to scare people away? Now, it's true, it may seem like that I've partnered with Rick Moranis for a sequel on Honey, I Shrunk the Church. Um, always behind on the culture, all right? It's the last movie I saw was Honey, I Shrunk the Church. I one starred Kirk Cameron, I think. Um, but... But anyway, um, you, so you might be wondering that. Um, if you were here two weeks ago, which you were, you're probably not here tonight, but if you were here two weeks ago, you remember that we talked through corporate confession, corporate repentance as a people, turning from our sin together, right? If you were here last week, and if you were, you're probably not here tonight, you remember that we talked about money, all right? We, we work through um, repentance of sin, turning from sin, and, and then money, issues that we don't like to deal with as, as a body. But those things all fit into the process of, of a city being restored, reaching a city with the restoration of Jesus. All of those things fit, fit in. Now this evening we're going to do two chapters, 11 and 12. Um, and we're going to see, or, or part of 12, we're going to see that the temple is now complete. The walls are complete around the city. The people are now trying to figure out where in the world do we go from here? Uh, I, I, dropped my, or I dropped my wife off at our house. I was there for about an hour. She just got home today and I came here. And in my mind as I'm driving here, I'm thinking those very same things. We now have five. We, we are outnumbered by far in our home by little people. Um, and, and I'm trying to think to myself... Um, where I, I, I tried to restore order in our house. Where in the world do we go from here? Like, we, we've walked through this process before of having children in the home, coming home a, a, as babies, and I'm thinking to myself, where in the world do we go from here? And so that's what the people are thinking. How is the continuing process of restoration going to happen? How are we supposed to go back to life as normal and pursue the things of God in a city that's in such need? Isn't that where, I, I think that's where we are to some extent. God has placed us in this city, the city of Fort Collins or, or wherever it is that you live. He's placed us in our jobs for a reason. He's placed us next to our neighbors for a reason. He's intersected our paths with people from around the city for a reason. We have all, believe it or not, we have all ended up in this body together for a, a reason. So now what? Where do, we, where do we go from here? What do we do next? What's required to restore this city? 
So that's where we're going to to go tonight with these two chapters. Um, And and think through if it's true that God has placed us in this city to be his mouthpiece of the gospel and his action toward restoration, then what is actually required? What's required of us? So that's where we're headed. Ready? I'm not sure that I am. Here we go. Here's where I want to start. I want to start by reading a verse from Nehemiah chapter 7. Don't turn there. Um, Nehemiah chapter 7. Verse 4, um, and this simply sets the stage for where we're headed this evening. All right? Just after the wall's finished, Nehemiah tells, tells us this. He says this in verse 4 of chapter 7. He says, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. I want us to think through that. Here we have a, a large city, um, now protected by a wall. The temple's complete. In the city, we're told that, that in these next verses that the people moved each to his own town throughout the region of Judea. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in the city, but they began to move out. That's chapter 7. So a large city um, ready to be inhabited, ready to be restored, what's required for that to happen. So let's find out. Look at, look at chapter 11, which is where you should be. Chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what the very first part of verse 1 says. It says, now the leaders of the people in Jerusalem, all right, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their other towns. We're going to stop right there. A city restored requires leaders. It requires leaders. We're told from the very beginning that the leaders lived in Jerusalem. Now, there's debate about whether or not these leaders chose to live in Jerusalem to set an example, or if they they were living there already. We're not told why or or how that all works out, but I've got to imagine, um, as we look look at this, that the leaders that are there are in some way there setting the example. To move forward in restoring a city, both physically and spiritually, you've got to have leaders in that city. People who are ready to take charge in restoring the city. People who are willing to do that in the city. When Kirsten and I were praying about coming to Colorado to plant a church, I began thinking, where, where should we go up and down the front range? And I began to talk to a lot of people about where that could, where there were needs. We looked up and down the front range. One of the cities that we looked at was Boulder. We looked at Boulder for about 20 seconds and we saw what it cost to live there. And we thought there is no way that we could live in that city. We'd have to live outside the city somehow. Some way to afford being in the city, reaching the city, we would have to live outside the city. And that was not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the city that I was trying to reach. And so we set our, set our, uh, our eyes north. If, if you have a heart for a place, it just makes sense that you're then in that place, right? So I wanted to be committed to the city where I, I was trying to reach with the gospel. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's wrong um, to, to live in one place and try to reach uh, another people. Right? That's not wrong at all. Um, but I think you have to agree with me that, that it's maybe not best. If your heart is in Fort Collins and you live in Cheyenne, it's going to be very difficult, very uh, uh, difficult to be effective in reaching people with the gospel in Fort Collins in, in ways that are best. And we have to agree on that, I think. 
Um, and so again, it's not wrong or sinful, just difficult. We see from the leaders in Nehemiah 11 that they were setting example, an example, I think, of living in the city that they were trying um, to, to reach. Now, let me narrow this down. Let me narrow this down for application a little bit more. Our heart as a church, you've heard this if you've been here long, is for this area of Fort Collins, the Old Town area. Um, We love the city. We specifically love this area of the city. Now, if you and I are trying to effectively reach this area of Old Town and we spend all of our time between Trilby and Harmony, um, aren't we sending mixed messages? I love Old Town, I love Old Town, I love Old Town. I'm never there, but I love Old Town. What I've heard about it is really, really amazing. And I want to reach the people. I think there's people there. I want to reach the people who are there. So, so we're sending mixed messages. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to live down here, right? It, it, down in Old Town, Old Town Square. Although that would be cool. I was thinking about this today. If you lived in Old Town Square, you have the fountain there for a shower, There's a public bathroom right there. You've got ice skating in the winter that's free at night, late enough. And you've got, um, I mean, you've got a lot of stuff just right there. So you could possibly live in Old Town Square. But it doesn't mean that you actually have to to live there. But, But if we, you included, are leading the charge of reaching this city, specifically Old Town, shouldn't our desire be to plant ourselves in Old Town? In this area. I think so. I think that's the case. Now, we, we can have, we can have uh, feelers out in different ways. We can be reaching other aspects of our lives. That's true. Um, but as a church, this is where we focus our attention. Um, and I'm going to call you all leaders. I'm going to call you all leaders because you're in the beginning stages of setting this body in motion. And so a, a, a city restored requires leaders from, from the very beginning. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we will need to be in Old Town all the time. Does it, does it necessarily mean that, that we all need to be in Fort Collins all the time? I don't think it does. In fact, as a, as a body, um, we could see some pretty amazing things all over different neighborhoods, uh, all over different areas up and down the Front Range. But what does that Let's talk about that. What does that take as a body? If, if our desire is to see the gospel transform everything, to see the city restored, and to see outlying areas of this place restored, what does that take? It takes vision. It takes vision to do that. Look at verse 1 again. I'm going to read it again. It says this, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. We just read that. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of ten remained in their towns. Did you catch that? One out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Nine out of ten were going to remain in their towns. I think we see the desire to see the city restored beginning to have some far-reaching possibilities, but that requires vision. And so the people decide, let's draw straws. We want a tenth of our people to stay committed to living in city, in the city, in the hub of where we, we want to see this place restored. The other 90%, um, we want to scatter out into villages and towns and, and other regions all over J- Judea. And 
that's planned. That's completely planned out. This was something that they purposefully, intentionally planned so that the people were filling the city and the other parts of the region. I think, I think we need to look at our own placement in the city the same way. All right, some of us live in um, this neighborhood, some of us live in that neighborhood, some of us live um, all over the place. And like I've said before, I've said it already tonight, it's by no mistake that we live in the place that we live. Stand in the... What is that song? Stand in the place? No, totally different. All right. Um, it's, it's by no mistake that you live in the place that you live. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. You don't need to turn there, but he says this, that God determines the boundaries of our dwelling places. That blows my mind when I think about that. He doesn't just happen to know where we live because he's got some high-powered Google Maps, right? He actually determines the places that we live so that we would be used by him to reach the people that he has around us, bringing restoration to those people because of Jesus. He has us living in different neighborhoods all over, all over the city to reach all kinds of people. I thought about that this week when Erica and Annika had to move. That wasn't an accident. There's something behind that. There are people around their house, their new house, that God wants to reach through them. It's by no mistake that we're in the place that, that we are. There are times when we gather as a body and we're able to, to be effective as well, like our townships. That's the reason we call them townships, by the way. If you've, if you've wondered that, if you think it's kind of corny, it might be. The other option was tiny towns, and that just didn't work. Um, so... Um, so, so that's why we call them that. We want pockets of gospel communities all over the city um, in, in little townships, reaching people that are all around. That, that's, that's not a mistake. Right? It's no mistake that we are in the homes that we are in throughout the week. All of that, let's bring it back, all back. All of that takes vision. All of that takes planning in ways that we can be involved in different areas all over the city. That's why we want, that's why we need you to be in a township so that you can be a part of the restoration of the city in this way. We desperately want to see that. Do you know what part of our vision for townships is? Is that that, you're, that you in your group would share Share in your heart for the lost and the broken of this city. Specifically, right around the area where you meet every week. That's part of our vision. That would then begin, um, you would then begin engaging the culture and seeking opportunities to live out as well as speak the gospel to those who, who don't believe. We desperately want everyone to be in townships and to see those multiplying so that we are spread all over this city. That's our vision. That's our vision for this church to be reaching all parts of the city and, and beyond. Now, I, I'm not saying we're brilliant. All right? that, that wasn't some brilliant idea that we, we came up with. But what we're trying to do is be faithful. We're trying to be a, a faithful and prepared with a plan, with a vision to reach the city. Now, what else is required if we want to see the city restored, right? We've seen leaders and we've seen, we've seen vision. I think we see in verse 2 that it takes a willingness. Look at verse 2 of chapter 11. 
And you're thinking right now to yourself, we are in verse 2 of chapter 11 and we're going through 12, 26. Are you kidding me? Chapter 2, or I'm sure, chapter 11, verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Willingly live in Jerusalem. 10% of the people were chosen to live in the city of Jerusalem and we're told that they willingly chose to do so. Yeah, they drew straws, right? So I'm sure one guy got this, the straw and he, he didn't want it. But they willingly accepted the call to live in the city. I can't imagine that that was an easy decision for all of them, right? Some of these people were from towns that they had always lived in. I'm I'm sure some of them wanted desperately to go back home and set up a nice, quaint um, home in the hills. I'm sure that was probably the case. Could it be that some of the moms wanted a lot of space for their children to run around in? And not have to worry about the busy streets of Jerusalem. I think so. When we, when we see this, we see here, I, I think a willingness to do what it takes to carry out the vision that's been set by the leaders who are casting it. Don't you think that that's what we see? You think it was easy for the people? I, I don't think it was. Um, do you remember, I'm sure some of you remember that plaque or that blanket that you got from your grandmother uh, at high school graduation, Jeremiah 29, 11. Do you remember that? The plaque still hanging above your bed at your parents' house. Um, says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know what the context for that verse is? The context for that verse in Jeremiah 29 is, is this, what we're going through right here. The, the exiles, um, the exiles are, are, are coming back, right? They, they're, they're living in, in Babylon and Jeremiah is writing to them and he speaks God's words and he says, he says this, you can live in Babylon, you can build houses there, I want you to plant gardens, I want you even to get married and have families, I want you to seek the welfare of your city of exile in Babylon. That's probably not a comforting thing to hear from God in a city where you don't want to be. Seek the welfare of that city because that's your home now. That's what he says. And then Jeremiah speaks the words of God to the people and this is what he says. When 70 years are completed, it's your time in Babylon, folks. Um, when, When 70 years are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to your home for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's the context. These people are in exile and God says to them, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to to your home. And so the people I'm sure are thinking, I'm looking forward to that day. He has plans for me and I need to trust that they're good and they're for my welfare. I need to be willing to carry out the vision from the leaders. God is over all of that. And I'm sure some of them are thinking, And I've just chosen the short straw. And I have to live in a place that I don't really want to live in. But we see willingness. Now here's my question for us as we think about this. Are we willing to do what God is asking of us in this city, knowing that He has a plan for us and it's not for our harm? Are we willing? 
Are we willing to, to do what God is asking for us? God's not asking us to do something that will bring destruction to us. Do you guys get that? He's not asking us to do something that will bring to us our ultimate destruction. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a joy ride. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. In fact, there may be some difficulties along the way as he's, as he's calling us to do certain things. God's desire is to see this city restored and every other city restored to right relationships with him. And that happens through his son, Jesus. And we all know the message of the gospel or you've heard it. What is God asking of you in all of that process? In what ways is God asking you to be a part of the restoration of this city? And here's the question for all of us again. Are you willing to do that? Are you, are you willing to do that? Are you seeking His wisdom to figure out what that even is? Or are you running? Maybe that's you. You know what God's asking you to do? And you are running from that. And here's what I want to tell us all. If, if we're running from God and His plan, we're, what we're running toward is, is whose? Ours, right? And if we are running toward our plan, we're actually worshiping the idol of whatever that plan is. Worshiping something that's not God, which is the very reason the people were put into exile in the first place. And that's us if we're running from it instead of willingly submitting to what God is asking of us. Now, here's the beauty in all of this. Um, is everybody ready? Good? Okay. Here's the beauty in all of this. God did not orchestrate and determine all of these things for you to be alone. You knew this was coming, right? Um, that, that's what we see in the remaining verses of chapter 11 through most of chapter 12. We see that a city restored requires the body. We're not sent out on mission by ourselves. Each of us has a place and a function in the body. When, when we come to lists of names like we have in, in the rest of chapter 11, in all of chapter, most of chapter 12, what we usually do is we pick good names for our children, and then we move on as if those chapters don't, don't really mean anything. Groups of organized people. And so I think we need to slow down and look at this and, and see that there are groups of organized people who have been specifically and intentionally placed by God in these towns all over Judea to be his representatives. We're not going to read it tonight, but I'd encourage you to read through this list, these lists in that way, thinking God has intentionally placed each one of these people in their place for a, a specific reason. We have temple servants, we have priests, we have Levites, we have gatekeepers, we have singers. We have a long list, long list of families and their family members. Each of that, each of a, a part of a larger body, the people of God, what, what we call the church. Now in a very similar way, we all have our part. Just like all of these people had their part. We all have our part. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, you have been gifted to be a part of the body in ways that no one else is gifted. Have you thought about that? If you are a part of the body, then you have been gifted in ways that no one else has been gifted. For some of you, that's, that's really true. 
I mean, there's no one like you. And that's a very good thing for a lot of you, right? Um, there is no one else like you. Now, I'm not trying to be all hallmarky and say that you're as unique as a snowflake, right? Because there is a, a very good chance that you're really quite boring and not nearly as beautiful as a snowflake is. So I'm not trying to, like, pour that in on you, all right? But I'm, I'm just saying we are all by God put as part of the body and all of those parts are vital to the health of the body. So often we have a mentality that we aren't actually needed. I'm, I go to that church, I'm a, I'm a part of it and what that means is whatever you want that to mean. And, and we get to the place where we say there are, there are so many others who could do so much better at reaching the city, at serving those in the body, and on and on and on. We have those kinds of excuses. And, and often we slip into the mentality that our involvement in the body is neither here nor there. If I'm there, fine. If I'm not, fine. I can go to my township or not. No biggie, really. I, I can go and serve with the body doing homeless gear or whatever service opportunities there are, or or not. It, it's really not that big of, uh, big of a deal. There may be sometimes when you even think, I'm tired and I just don't want to be around people right now, but that's not a big deal because I need my space and my time too. Or you may be saying, there's a big game that starts at 4.30 next week. And, right, we're going to be here. By the way, for those of you who are wondering, if we're not, we're going to be here. But some of you may think to yourself, there's a game that I want to watch. Now, everyone, stop what they're doing, put down pens. I want everyone to look up here. And I want us all to hear what we all need to hear. You being a part of the body is not about you. In fact, it's ultimately about about Jesus. It's not about you. And so when those thoughts flood your mind about, ah, I can be there or not, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to someone who's missing out that you're not there. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Flip away from Nehemiah. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, if you're using one of our Bibles, page 959. And I want to read through what Paul says about the body. He says this, verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If you're an artist, you're picturing this already, aren't you? You're trying to figure out how to draw this. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose But God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. But God has so composed the body. God has giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Realize what's being said? God has so composed the body, just like we see in Ezra, or I'm sorry, Nehemiah 11 and 12, God has organized the body in such a way that each part is needed. Azarel, Ziklag, Amariah, Eliashib, Abijah, Tito, Janet. Every single person, culture, every single person listed in these verses that, that we didn't read but that are there is a part of God's work to reveal himself to a city and the surrounding areas. Every single name. Every single person who's a believer and in this room this evening is a part of God's work to reveal himself to this city. If you think you don't have a part, you are wrong. So here's some questions I'm just going to throw out as we close. Are you tempted to shy away from the body? Is that your your gut instinct? To shy away from being a part of the body. Are you tempted to not be a part of the body? Is it easier sometimes to just stay home? Is it more comfortable for you not to serve? Someone's going to do it. It's just more comfortable for me not to to be there. Is it more comfortable for you to not be involved in relationships that are going to be time-intensive? Because you have other things going on, things you want to get to, things you, you want to do. Why would I want to spend time with these people? Are you willing, like the 10% that we read about in Nehemiah, to do what God is asking of you to be a part of making His name known in the city? Do we have a desire to do what God is asking of us to be a part of making His name known and watching what happens as He works in the lives to restore people to Himself through His Son? Now, let's all get on the same page. Jesus is the one who does the restorative work in the hearts. We get that. He's the one reconciling us to the Father. He's the one recreating cold hearts into open, receptive hearts to the gospel. And he, I don't have a clue why, he allows us to participate in that restoration process as a body together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this. Don't don't turn there unless you want to. Paul says this. Here's where we're going to finish. He says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, the old, just like we sang. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be no sin who knew, I'm sorry, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus reconciling us to the Father, not counting our sins against us, we are now, like it or not, We are now ambassadors of Christ. God made Jesus... Now, Jesus is perfect and sinless, right? Perfect and sinless Jesus. God made Jesus to be our sin. And in the process, He made us... Not perfect, not sinless. He made us to be His righteousness. I love this picture. If you don't, sorry, you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. When God looks at us, he puts on his Jesus glasses. And as he looks at us, he sees his son perfect and righteous. And so as a part of the body, as a, as a part of the church, we have a role, So what Paul tells us here, to plead with others to repent and turn to Jesus seeing, being a part of the process of seeing a city restored, and that takes Jesus. A city restored requires Jesus working in and through the body, and so it's time to stop thinking that this vision of restoration is about you and your comfort. And it's time to start thinking that this vision of restoration is about Jesus and his fame restoring people back to God um, and seeing the city restored in the same way because we have been placed here. God has placed us here. And so my prayer for us as we think through how this could work out, how this could look, my prayer is that we would realize we would realize that God has by no mistake placed us all here for a reason. In your job, in your house, in your neighborhood, in, in your family, for a reason to be reaching the city, restoring the city, pointing people to the Savior. That's our, that's our hope. That's our, that's our joy. Let me pray for us and, and we're going to continue to celebrate Jesus. Father, um, thanks for an evening together where we can look at your word. Uh, it's hard when we get to passages like this, God, where it's lists of names. I don't want to breeze over them because you in your wisdom and in your sovereignty have given us these chapters. God, I think what you want us to see is that all of these names are important part of your big picture of restoring the city. God, we're on this side of things now where we see that Jesus is the one who restores people back to you, reconciling us back to you. And so I pray that we would have a heart for the city knowing that that Jesus is the one pointing people to you. Give us a hope in that. God, I pray for, for those of us, sometimes myself, for those of us who 
at times just have a desire to be alone, to avoid the body, to not be apart. I pray that we would resist that, knowing that we are withholding from the body a part that you have sovereignly, um, sovereignly put there. Help us to, to resist the temptation. Show us when we're wrong. Convict us of our sins so that we can confess and turn to you. All these things we pray knowing that Jesus has um, provided a way that we can talk to you. Um, And it's in his name we pray. Amen.